They terraform lands of many fine worlds and bloodied our hands with our boys and our girls. They offered us cans of food that curdled and piled on chains by the ton. Blue sun, blue sun, another corporation with their hand on the gun. Blue sun, blue sun, free yourself to run. The Ginger Beer Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ginger Beer Podcast. I have with me Miss Donna Katz from G's Ginger Beer out in Mount Helena or Helena? St. Helena? St. Helena. St. Helena, California in Napa Valley. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Shine. Good day to you. Good day. Good day, mate. Good day. I was I was really impressed with all the mates that I got on the uh, Instagram texting. I was like, man, this is legitimate Australian here. No doubt. You can doubt. take Australian out of Australia, but you can't take the Australian out of the Australia out of the Australian. Is that how it rolls? I think that's how it rolls. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So um, I've noticed that ginger beer is extremely popular in Australia. Um, there's a company called Matzo's I've heard of and Stones. They're very small, but Stones is one. There's probably some standard breweries that also do ginger beer, like maybe just one or two ginger beers as well. So yes. is that kind of like, cause your background was Australian. Is that how you knew about ginger beer? Tell me about that. Not, not really that kind of connection but yeah it's been a category that's been around in the australian market for some time probably on the back of also it being out of the uk you know you get alcoholic ginger beers that come out of the uk and europe and uh, from all those years ago and yeah they've been available in the australian market for some time but that was not my inspiration as such um i actually started fermenting ginger for my own digestive purposes um, and my fermentation experience actually comes from um, growing wine grapes. So I dry farm organically a small vineyard up here in the Napa Valley. And it was through dry farming the vineyard and then uh, making the wine and, and getting sort of this experience of fermentation that way. And just started to really want to geek out more and more on, on all things fermentation and started fermenting with ginger for my own digestive purposes and then where we live everything out here in northern california grows really abundantly well and i forage locally where i live and so i was using a lot of these you know the seasonal ingredients be it fruits or botanical spices flowers and i was just incorporating these into my ginger base um i started with a ginger bug and just started getting really interested more and more interested in it and the you know the functional benefits of ginger and then the the flavor, just the aromatics as well that came through. And all my mates were enjoying it as well. And then the Australian and me was like, well, why isn't there alcohol in this beverage? And just sort of saw a bit of an opportunity to go, hey, there's, you know, there's more and more people that are looking for beverage options. And this is, um, you know, something that's super tasty and not that's very well known, um, but incredibly versatile as well. And um, so yeah, there were some certainly some trends, I guess, that were pointing into that direction. But I just loved it, and I still do all my own R and D here in the kitchen and incorporating different things. And I contract brew um, a, a little ways from here. But um, and uh, yeah, just uh, gave it a go, and 
Um, you know, I mean, you know what it's like. A few years ago, specialty category of fermented beverages was not really what the cool kids were doing. So it was a leap of faith in some ways, but, you know, calculated in others. Let's take a little step back and tell me more about this wine venture that you're doing. Yeah, so I've, uh, I picked up a small block of uh, a small block here on the valley floor. Um, I've got just shy of a half an acre under vine. Um, 660 vines in total. The first vines were planted here on the property in the mid-60s, and the bulk of that vineyard was replanted in the early 90s after sort of phylloxera kind of hit again. And um, so it's all the old, all the old vines are cab sat, the oldest in the vineyard being, you know, the better part of 50-plus years old and then some that are in the 30s. But the spacing of the rows here was old school for the tractor of the days to get through, so very wide spacing, 11, 12 feet. I hand farmed my vineyard, um, and so I didn't need that sort of space. So I saw the optionality of being able to uh, increase my footprint and and put another, essentially double the capacity of the vineyard by dropping a row between every other row. And I put in some some different varietals, still Bordeaux. So I put in some Cabernet Franc, Malbec, and Petit Bordeaux. Um, so 20% of the vineyards now Cabernet Franc, which I'm pretty excited about. And 65 is Cab Sav and just a little bit, a little wee bit of the other two for um, for blending. But um, so yeah, it's uh, it, it doubled the capacity, but it'll probably treble the treble the yield. Now the young vines are coming on with vigor. Um, they needed some time to deep root themselves. As a dry farmer, I wanted to concentrate on the vine structure deep rooting itself for the long term, as opposed to getting fruit early on. Cool. Um, so is that a commercial venture? I mean, you got a half an acre under vine, right? So, um, yeah, it's, it's a, a little, it's a, it'd be nano. It definitely is nano. I do have my wine licenses, but I haven't uh, sold any wines yet. Um, my bandwidth has very much been taken up in the ginger beer realm for the last couple of years. Um, and the wine is, you know, aging delightfully, but my first, uh, I've got five vintages uh, under my belt. Um, so far and they're all you know it's it the good thing about wine is, is that it, it takes time to develop I make a, a style of wine that is more akin to what we would consider the napper of then as opposed to the napper of now I make a lot more of a restrained style so it's a lower in alcohol higher in natural acidity I really want that every aspect of fruit herb floral to come you know to come through and it be an enjoyable length of palate and structure and food friendly and not just like a, a high alcohol fruit fruit bomb, which there's nothing wrong with those types of wines. It's just not the style of wine that I wanted to make. And so what working with wine grapes taught me a lot around fermentation and real agricultural ingredients, I translated to, to the ginger beer. And that's sort of what I wanted to bring to the table to the hard ginger beers was well, working with real ingredients can give you this aromatic explosion, can be transformative in some ways, can have a structure and a length and a a balance to the palate that makes you just really want to enjoy it, you know? So. Yeah, I, I got a quote here from you uh, that I read on an article that y'all linked to on your website, and you said that ginger beer is very much like wine, and I, I like that, I, I, yeah. and that's just, it's obvious to us, right? Cause, um, totally. Because, it, 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 and I describe it a lot as a short wine. You know, yep. I'm like the best thing I could describe to you is that ginger beer is a short wine. But if you make a short wine, short wines suck. You know, like they just taste, they don't have the balance. They don't have the um, uh, the acidity. You know, they're very watered down. Um, but a ginger beer, 
palate necessarily. Say that again, sorry. They don't have the length of the palate, and I find with ginger beers, they've got a length in palate. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm I'm hoping to find out. I'm gonna drink one of your beers on uh, during this interview, so I can uh, so I can taste oh, it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and, uh, and I hope you don't mind. And thank you for the care package. Um, it was oh, very okay. cool. And what I what I plan to do, and if you're okay with this, is I'm going to bring on a buddy of mine. So he's like a, a third party interloper, right? And then he's got a little uh, Instagram account, you know, where he does like beer reviews and stuff. So I'll have him come on and uh, and uh, taste your beer and give some tasting notes on it and stuff. And we'll yeah. just we'll just make it a little segment for you know the, either this episode maybe I'll put it on after or, or whatnot but I think it'd be really neat to uh, to showcase your beers you know oh thank you appreciate that yeah I hope you dig them but yeah that was it was you know I find with the ginger as well I use fresh press organic ginger and I I find that the warming aspect and I, I guess and you must find the same with yours is that as you continue to enjoy it, that, that sort of warming of the length of the palate stays, you know, in a, in a nice way. And uh, working with real agricultural ingredients makes a difference. And that's kind of what wine taught me. You don't, it's not just wine grapes that give this, um, this sensory and this, you know, it doesn't have to be a super expensive bottle of wine. It can just be, you know, wow, I'm just enjoying real ingredients and look at the expression and the, and the complexity that can come out of it as well. Yeah, that's super cool. That because uh, I'm learning a lot from you. Um, because uh, you know I'm a home I'm a home brewer by you know trade, but training I guess. And uh, I don't know much about uh, wine and wine tasting. So you're using a lot of words that you know are frankly like uh, you know for a, a not necessarily a young man, but a man in Alabama that I've never heard before. So I really respect that, and I love that, and uh, and I agree to an extent that I understand, which is not very much. I will say that I'm learning a lot from you, Donna. Glad to have you in the ginger beer community. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Likewise, it's good to like, it's good to see that there is a community growing. So thank you. Like what you're doing here is super ace. Yeah, it's just cool. Hats to you. Hats off to you. You've actually set up, you've got your own tap room and you've gone all in in a whole different way than what I've done. And I'm admiration. I'm an inspiration for Californians everywhere. That's right. You hang on to that, mate. You hang on to that. <laughs> All right. So um, let's get back to the ginger beer because um, I don't think we totally got into that story of how you got into ginger beer. So why ginger beer? What lit that fire? You're in Napa Valley. I want to go there eventually, but let's start with the ginger beer part. Yeah, so it was. It really was me just mucking around in my kitchen with um, fermentations of of ginger bugs, and I've actually still got my original ginger bugs. So I set out on this project. I'm gonna say it was the early part of 2016, um, early to mid, like Q2, quarter two, that kind of thing. Um, and I was full time R and D and startup for 16 months before I went for my first commercial brew. Um, you know, I had so much to learn, but like I, as I was doing my reading and trying to understand more around the fermentation of ginger and how and what and why and, um, you know, I'm growing this bug, you know, I've got this ginger bug that I keep, you know, siphoning off of and I keep utilizing. And it's just, like I say, it just kind of snowballed from, you know, mucking around in my kitchen and, and wanting to drink. I was basically making something that I couldn't buy. And that was uh, a tasty beverage that didn't have a shit ton of sugar on it. And that's what I was frustrated about mostly was is that 
I love ginger and I love the combination of flavors and profiles that come alongside some of these ginger beverages, but none of them had anything that I could that I could enjoy because most of them have a lot of sugar and they range both on the non-alcoholic and the alcoholic side. And there aren't that many alcoholic ginger beer options here in the United States, which was part of the appeal of, of going to market with it. But um, most ginger beverages in this country range between 28 and 53 grams of sugar per serving. And that is just, for my taste buds, that's an obnoxious amount of sugar. And I just, uh, so I ended up starting to make something that I couldn't buy. And um, and then, like I say, utilizing uh, the abundance of what grows around us and foraging for, depending on what time of year it was and, and starting to do all of these neat little concoctions. But what I most had available to me was Meyer lemons. And actually neighbors of mine have got an incredibly abundant tree um, that, that actually fruits twice a year. And so I found myself having Meyer lemons year round from a neighbor that I could do all my own R&D with. And I really love working with Meyer lemons because I mean, it's it's a cross between an orange and lemon. So you get the acidity and you get the tartness from the lemon, but you also then get the sweetness from the orange that comes through. And so it just was, I was finding it fermented really well with ginger base. It added to the aromatics of it. It also added to the taste profile and the brightness of it. Um, so yeah, that became the staple. And now that's what we now call the original, G's original. It has a mild lemon profile, which is actually, I ferment with, uh, orange juice and lemon juice when I went to scale the project I couldn't find organic Maya lemons year-round so I just went upstream of that to the orange and the lemon which is kind of cool because now I can dial up or dial down the you know the orange content versus the lemon content for the for, you know for the, for the blends themselves um, so yeah that's sort of how it all started and like I said my mates were really enjoying it as well I was loving making more and more of it I had my fair share of learnings along the way of explosions and random, you know, random like, oh, what's that ferment doing? You know, it was a huge learning experience, but I just loved it. I just loved it. And, um, yeah, still, like I said, I still do all my own R&D here in the kitchen. I'm always working on another recipe. I, you know, it's in my small batches are between, you know, three and six gallons kind of thing. And then translating that to commercial is always a challenge. Um, especially when you don't have your own facility to be able to kind of muck around in a slightly larger scale. But um, it's, uh, it's, it's been nice. I, uh, I, I love doing it. And, uh, and, you know, it's the first to market certainly in California. In California. Um, so there's a lot of education, as you know. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's a blast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I also find this fascinating that uh, you brew – totally dry ginger beers right like yes. you go to completion uh fermentate or fermentation to completion and then um and you already got your flavors in there i imagine right because why wouldn't you um so i i think what we're gonna find is that there is like regional differences in ginger beer um because i'm in the deep south and if you know anything about down the, the deep south is people drink sweet tea that is like you know a hundred grams per serving, you know, uh, on the reg, right. They, you know, they feed themselves with it and they love it. And, you know, most of them do okay with it. Um, uh, that said, you know, I dial back the sugar, uh, much more, but I do have beers that are very sweet because they sell like my ginger colada is a pina colada ginger beer and it just sells like crazy. And, uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta have it or I'm out of business, you know? So, um, 
it's totally knowing your customers and knowing your market as well. And it's also, um, for me, it's been a bit like, well, you know, t- to me, sugar to a beverage is like salt to food. You can always add more. Mm-hmm. And what there didn't exist was a beverage that didn't have any sugar. And to be fair, I actually, the second variety that I brought to market commercially was off dry, what we would consider off dry. Mm-hmm. It had seven grams only um, per How serve. Of, yeah, it's interesting. It, it did well. It, it, it did well initially because people, and I, my goal was to find a balance with sweetness. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with sweetness. It's just a, about finding that balance, right? right? Exactly. And so what I found was like production was a number of reasons why I ended up not doing it, both from a brand perspective. I felt it was more on point of where the brand was as well, that you can mix a cocktail with a dry beverage a lot you get a, a you know a good clean slate to work from whereas most of the ginger beverages that are out there in the marketplace because they've got so much sugar in them those behind the bar struggle with finding that balance in, in the flair that they want to demonstrate um, whereas if there's no sugar then they've got you know a, a carte blanche to to create um, but it was also you know keeping a, a beverage shelf stable is near impossible if you add sugar back to a, a previously fermented environment. Um, there are ways of doing it, and I've chosen to not do that. But and you're when smart I, to do that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, your beer's going to be stable forever, <laughs> nearly, you know? Yeah. yeah exactly. So I moved away from it strategically by choice, thoughtfully, mindfully. It what was about, originally. What about the health, like in your region? Like, aren't people in the San Francisco area, aren't they just super health conscious and things? Like, does yeah. that play a role in your decision as well? Yeah, it does. I mean, certainly from my from where I am market-wise, yes, people like the fact that they're and there's Some people are like, you know what, it, this one is, is too dry for me, but this one I do like. I think the challenge for me has been how do I find balance in my beverage without the sweetness? And sugar is – sugar can hide things, you know. It, you can mask certain things. As my, my tolerance for, you know, is very small if – if the beverage isn't on point, it's just not on point, and I won't put it in the marketplace if it's not. But a couple of years, and I've had to destroy some batches and 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 learn that hard way too. And I'm not saying that was great. It wasn't. It was great from a perspective of the learning, but it wasn't great from the perspective of financially. Um, but it was more important to get this recipe right in a way that I wanted to without the sugar content um, and be on like brand wise. That's you know, it's it's just a, it's a really clean beverage. Um, the one that did have the off dry one, it did have a balance to it. It was a good beverage. It was just a lot more expensive to produce. And interestingly enough, when I made the the strategic, like the decision to to not brew it again, I actually started to see sales of it decrease. Even though, like, I still had some to move. Whoa. That was kind of happening at the same time. It's like, wow. And you and so what you're saying is true. People. People are starting to make more choices around, it's like, you want to have your cake and eat it. Yes, you can. You can have your cake, literally, and have your alcoholic beverage that doesn't necessarily have some of the other ingredients in it that you may be more used to. And not to say you can't add sugar into any of, you know, or some sort of sweetener into it. Like I say, sugar to a beverage is like salt to food. You can always add more. But to me, the balance, like finding a balance is using ingredients that have either, that have a perception of sweetness. So in the spring, I uh, last spring I launched uh, Wild One, which is fermented with fresh mint and lime. 
Um, mint is a wonderful ingredient that adds a profile that is a perception of sweetness. And so when you can bring in botanicals like that, um, vanilla is another one. Now, vanilla can be tricky, as you know. You can over, overdo it with vanilla. So, it's again, it's about finding that balance. But vanilla, aromatically, you, your mind thinks that you're smelling something sweet and you get a, a profile of it on the palate. And there still can be no sugar in this beverage, but you're finding a balance of a perception of sweetness through ingredients. Wow. You really are a molecular gastronomist. That's for sure. You're really like teasing this apart and finding a balance between ingredients without using sugar. I mean, it's great. I use sugar in all my beers. I, I cheat. Oh, it's not cheating, mate. It's not cheating. It's it, it's just a it's a different style. That's it just right. really is. Yeah, that's right. Um, and you control your supply. You you can control your your supply chain and the way that your beverage is presented to the consumer and the way that you serve it to your consumer. You've got your own tap room. You. I can't control my entire supply chain and the logistics of it. And so it becomes harder to to deal with um, when you don't have that control. Right. Yeah. I wonder, you are my first guest and you're only my second guest, but you are, you are my first of two <laughs> guests that, um, that does the, went the commercial route which I totally respect. Um, and I imagine there's so many challenges towards that. Uh, is there anything you can tell me about like working with a brewery or a winery to produce this and, and how you got to, you know, teach them how to do the beer for you? Yeah, it's, uh, we, in some ways we were learning together. Um, I, my first commercial batch was actually, um, was a, was a small one to sort of test the market and the guys that I work with with that, um, I'm still to this day, grateful and indebted to that they gave us a go um, the biggest challenge I've had looking for contract brewing is, is that my product is so unorthodox when it comes from a, a, a brewing beer perspective that most people even if they had spare capacity just didn't want to deal with the ginger aspect and I, I get it um, it is very potent as you know and so I had to also invest in a little bit of um, equipment in order to be able to say okay here's some lines here's some valves here's the gaskets this is dedicated now to, to G's, to the ginger beer at the brewery that I'm at. And where I'm at, um, this is actually the third brewery that I've been working with, and I've been there for over 18 months now, and I'm really happy at this brewery. We've, I, I had some early lessons with the previous brewery. Um, like I say, a very large destroyed, you know, the, a batch that I had to destroy. Um, but they were good learnings to have early. And it's not like... You could, you know, I mean, you get it. It's not like you pick up the phone to any number of your mates who are all like fermenting hard ginger beers and go, oh, when you came across this problem, what'd you do about that? Like, you just got to kind of, you got to figure it out, you know, and, and a willingness to, to, to roll the sleeves up and get so deep into it to understand this living creature is, you know, if something's not wrong, chances are I'm the person that fucked it up, right? Like, it's, it's not that it had a problem, it's that I'm not paying attention to something or I need to know better or I need to, you know, and what I did was take wine principles, wine fermentation principles, open top. I mean, I ferment my wines, I vinify my wines in uh, big punchins, which is a double-sized barrel, open top punchins. I'm used to the aerobic environment and going to a brewery, it's an anaerobic environment. Right. and when you start to mess around with yeast and fermentation and, you know, so I, I feel like I 
make a bit, a bit of a hybrid beverage now. Um, so that it, it took some time, took some time, but I'm really grateful to have had those lessons early. Um, one, I didn't have to, you know, pisses me. I didn't have that many customers to piss off, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so if a batch was delayed a bit, it was like, okay, this is a good time to be learning these big lessons. And, you know, the eyes water a bit, but you suck it up and take it on the chin and, and move on. And um, so, the, yeah, the brewery that I'm at, um, they're, they're great. And they were open to giving ginger beer a go and not everyone was. So that's a big challenge that I found early on. Um, and I and due to the liquor licensing laws and the you know licenses in general, the ginger beer has to be fermented at a at a brewery and not at a winery. Cider can be made at a winery, but but the ginger beer, the TTB classified, needed to be under a brewer's notice. Oh no, kidding. Okay, that, that's so interesting because I I had so many fun conversations with uh, the TTB. Um, one was, and let me know if they did this to you. To, to do a ginger beer and get your formula, because you use formulas online, I imagine, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. so to get my formula, I hope the TTP person isn't listening. <laughs> but and they're not, because why would they? But, um, but yeah, so to do it, they said I had to add some, a grain to the, the, the recipe, right? So oh, I, go, I go, how much? And he goes, he goes, oh, a drop would be fine. <laughs> Yes, a drop, a drop. So I do have a bottle of rice syrup up there, and it's half gone. But I'm not saying I put any in the beer. You know what I mean? Brilliant, a drop. Yeah. No, I never came across that. I probably challenged them on knowing that you know I didn't want to have any kind of malt or grain base. Um, I probably challenged them a little bit, and and it was a little bit of a challenge. I found that between the California ABC and the TTB, they were all like pointing in each other's sure. direction. Yeah. ABC was like, well, we'll go with what the TTB says. And the TTB were like, well, what? I'm like, look, I know, I'm, I know there's not a ton of um, hard ginger beer producers in this country, but there are some. So I'm not literally reinventing the wheel. Um, there must be, you know, some where some, you know, so they did come back and, and let us know that, yeah, we're classifying it as a malt beverage. Um, and with all of the intricacies of, you know, their bits and pieces. So that's cool. Like you guys had like a TTB agent that was on this. I don't think I really had that. Um, yeah, I wanted to, I want to tell you a story about, um, about that stuff, but it slipped my mind. It's late. You got me, you got me doing interviews too late. <laughs> hey, we can chat again, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so I will think about uh, my other TTB experience with those with those amazing people. You know, I've never had any issues with them. I just thought it was interesting that they wanted me to put a drop of uh, syrup in my beer. Yeah, that is very interesting. We we found a code within the code within the code kind of thing um, that uh, never suggested that I had to use any anything, even a drop. Right, yeah, yeah, and like at first, see, the thing was they were proving my recipes at first, right, and then over time they stopped. Like they were getting, you know, oh. uh, rejected, and I was like, "Well, what's up?" You know, so I finally got somebody on on the internet to ask them about that. Um, yeah, so so I actually wanted to be a brewery, not a winery, and here's why. This is what I was going to get at. Uh, the reason for a brewery instead of a winery is if you carbonate your beer you can carbonate up to any percentage you want to 
and there's no luxury tax on it, right? But as soon as you start carbonating wine over a percentage, you're considered champagne, and the VAT on that is insanity. It's insanity. Like, I would have never made any money in this industry. Totally. Yeah. yeah not just that, you would have had to have called it ginger wine. Right. No one's ginger wine. No one's buying that. Yeah, I could I couldn't say beer, right? Yeah, because they would have said, no, you're a winery. Yeah, yeah. When they were thinking about it, they're like, well, there's a chance you might be classified as wine, but then you'll have to label it ginger wine. I'm like, there goes my entire business model. <laughs> right, right. Oh, man. Yeah. So we are we are in a really weird uh, regulatory thing. And also, like I did mention in my first episode with the BJCP, like that's the Beer Judges Association, right? Oh, yeah. Have you heard of them? You know about them. Yeah, so like uh, if I wanted to submit a one of my ginger beers or if you wanted to submit one of your ginger beers right now to them for a competition, you could not enter oh. that competition because there is gluten-free category, but it has to be made with an alternative grain. Still, right. So We are those cool kids. Yeah, we're we're the bozo clowns out here uh, running around, chasing our tails, trying to figure out what we're doing, and I love it. It's crazy. Oh, it's ice. And coming back to something you mentioned us before as well, it's like – yeah, I live in wine country and I love it up here. It, 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 it's, you know, just get goosebumps talking about it kind of thing. It's it's a pretty special kind of place that I've found here. But um, I also, interestingly enough, always wanted to do something different when I arrived here. And there's just so many extraordinarily talented and experienced winemakers. And I love learning from them and listening to them and hanging out. But I was just like, wow, I can't like I can't compete with that. You know, I'm right. just a I'm just a humble commodities trader by profession. And um, you know, who am I to come in here and start kind of making wine? And you know, and and I mean, I I love it. I do all the work myself, and I roll my sleeves up, and um, and I'm still learning. And the cool thing is, is, every vintage has been different, but that's what I'm proud of too is vintage variation. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's it's been neat to do something a bit different it really has it's nothing's easy in life ever um but uh it is neat to do something a bit different yeah for sure um i'm just i'm just so lucky to have like a business partner that believed in me and a great family to like you know push me forward my wife not to go so crazy on me or crazy on me uh, spending long nights at the brewery and whatnot, you know, so just having like a great support team has really allowed me to, and I'm not going to say the word succeed, but I'm still here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Absolutely, man. No, I had soft to you. I mean, it still takes, even though you got great people around you, it's, you know, if, if you're not, you know, getting hard yakker into it yourself, it's not happening. You know, it's, you're the one with the resolve and with the, with the passion and, and, and with the determination. I mean, it's, it's gotta be all of those things, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, just curious, what commodity did you trade back in the day or like multiples or like what, what were you doing? Uh, I, uh, I traded oil and products. What is product? Does that mean like different products? You know, the, 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 the gasolines of the world kind uh, of thing. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. Oil trader. I like it. And, yeah, so uh, I, I, London, um, trading on a floor there before I came here Okay. Um, to the U S and I traded on our floor here as well. And then I uh, moved myself out to California back in, uh, 23rd. I've been here since 2013. When did you move out of Australia? I left Australia in 2004. Okay. Um, that's when I left London and I spent four years on the floor there. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I mean, I go home. I go home at least once. I mean, I go home every year um, where I get an opportunity to. When I used to be on, you know, on the on the trading floor, I'd try and get home a second time a year if if it was possible. But um, yeah, usually once a year I'll be home, and it's 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 always nice to go. Home. I, I I I choose to be here, and I love it. Also, love home. Right. Um... And I thankfully, would... I was there in earlier in the year, just before COVID. So, got to sneak in a little visit. We literally flew back. We flew back on the twenty eighth of February. So we just came back in time before the world blew you know. up. Yeah, again. Yeah. It, yeah. All, it blows, like every ten years, it seems to blow up. Um, yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, so, um, I wanted to ask you something. Uh, the name G's. We we're talking about GBs. You wanna, you wanna, you wanna talk about GBs or G's? Where that comes from? Oh yeah, G's is a, it, the the short version of the long version of the story is uh, G is my middle initial, and uh, I hate my middle name. Always have. Um, and back when, um, back when I went to uh, school back in the day, back in Australia. Um, of course, Australians, as soon as you don't like something, Australians will absolutely take the piss out of you. Um, <laughs> you know, they want to have a lend of you and put it in your face. So the, the point at which I mentioned the first time that I did not like my middle name. So the university that I um, ended up uh, getting into as what we would call a mature age student, um, I, uh, this was in the day where they like, they were dishing, they dish out email addresses. You didn't have control over what you wanted your email address to be. And the email address they gave me was my full name, my full my first and last name, but with my middle initial, so it was Donna G. Katz. And so all my new uni mates were like, what's the G, what's the G? And I'm like, I hate the G, you're never going to know what the G is. And so from that day, they always have called me something related to G, like G, or Donna G, G, DG, G Train, G String, G Banger, (laughs) every iteration of G, and I embraced it. I'm like, you can call me anything and everything with the G, I just do not... absolutely hate my middle name and all of their kids now call me Arnie G you know <laughs> like it's, it's totally so when I was when I was working on the startup of the ginger beer project and thinking about names I was really struggling and I didn't want something that was like kitschy or trying too hard I just you know I wanted it to be authentic and real and I was chatting with my best mate back at home um and he's like so he says to me he's G where are you at with the name and I'm like oh JJ I'm just really struggling I just don't I, I don't know what it is she turns around and goes gee come on it's not that hard it's just your ginger beer it's just G's ginger beer I'm like okay done G's ginger beer <laughs> and that's sort of how it came about but there's a lot of fun and playfulness that you can take you know with 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 the letter G um on the adult innuendo side and, and I have no issue with that this is an adult beverage if we want to play around a little bit in that space that's cool um, but uh, the vision of this brand is is greater, and at some stage when we look to move into the the NA world, the non-alcoholic world, um, my 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 I envision that it's going to be the G-rated. So <laughs> G-rated, awesome. <Yeah. laughs> All right, give me a second. I'm going to grab your ginger beer. Yeah, sure, man.
Okay, so uh, the ginger beer that did not make it, there's one that exploded, and the people at the UPS store thought uh, the UP or the uh, United States Postal Service guy might have like drank some or stolen some. <laughs> yeah, <they're, laughs> we had a great laugh of that. But no, no, no. So one exploded. That was the uh, original. But you sent two. So yeah. So I get to try that one too. And um, and so here I, you sent another two of uh, summer vibes, yeah, summer vibes, which is a say what? Yeah, I'll grab one as well. Let's okay, one. all right, cool. Let's do that. So this beer is passion fruit, orange, and sea salt. 116 calories per pint, ladies and gentlemen. That is extremely low and dry ginger beer. You are yes, not going to get fat over this. No, you definitely won't fat. No sugar, no carbs. So no carbs, no sugar, no protein. Um, yeah, if you're doing keto, this is perfect for you. I, in fact, I made a seltzer at the brewery, and uh, it, it's just it's just my ginger beer uh, dry, right, without any added sugar or any flavors. And uh, yeah, my uh, my weightlifting peeps are out there chugging it. You know, they love it. Totally. Yeah, it's um, again, it's about finding a balance. Um, hopefully, we do. But yeah, the, look, the alcohol, the the caloric content of my ginger beers is just alcohol. Right. You know, with no exactly. Sugar. Yeah, it's about uh, as, as low as you can go. Yeah. Yeah. I like to. Um, I do like to pour it into a glass to get those aromatics coming out. Oh I yeah, find... and you totally get it. The passion fruit just hits me right in the face. Yeah. Right on. That is delicious. Thank you, Matt. As well you can see, I don't... done, Donna G. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, I um, I tend to find the aromatics. Um, I'm not sure. Do you ever put any of your uh, ginger beers into different shape glasses, or do you, strictly speaking, stick to pints? I like those like uh, like really wide. Uh, glassware like not like that one exactly but a little more like chalicey like like a big oh, wine glass you know yeah yeah yeah. Like, big wine. Yep. yeah i think I, i've got like a saint bernardus uh cup that came in something and uh, i drink a lot of gingerbread i like to stick my nose straight in there and just get all the all totally. the sniffs yeah yeah i find the any kind of bowl like a tulip or a bowl kind of thing that you're talking about a wine glass a stem something like that mm-hmm. really just allows for the aromatics to open up and jump right out of that glass yeah i might need to think about uh we're thinking about getting new glassware at some point and i might need to think about just doing that getting that big old glass that i really love to drink it out of and just see if people want to drink out of it i think it's such a cool glass people would love to drink out of it we're gonna break like thousands of them though you know those are so you know they're like think about it. like a pint they cost a dollar you know what i mean or something like that and uh and they're sturdy you know they you might be able to drop them from four feet and they might they might survive it who knows but um those little glass those glasses aren't they're gonna be dead so well we'll see i'll think about it you know also thinking about maybe uh serving like my spicy ginger beer out of a moscow mule cup what do you think about that like a copper like a copper, copper a copper mug yeah exactly yeah oh. right yeah. yeah i know some folks that uh sell those um or moscow mule mugs and um yeah they uh it's it's part of the experience right yeah like it's an experiential thing 
And uh, this is another thing that sort of winemaking and, and working with wine grapes taught me was like, you can have these sort of experiences with another beverage that isn't wine. You know, it doesn't have to be this ceremonial thing. It's like, we would say in Australian English, shit shouldn't be so hard. Just have a moment with your beverage. It's, it's all good. You know? Yeah, I like that, man. <laughs> Yeah, I think it gets overthought. Like the beer that people are producing nowadays, and I'm talking about standard malt beer, is I don't know if it's as complicated as they're saying on the bottle or the label, but there's like, you know, maybe 10 ingredients or something. And, you know, then they'll like put on their Instagram all the different flavors you get out of it. And I'm like, what the hell? you know, is red wood flavor, like, or, or what I made that up, but I wouldn't no, be surprised. There is, there is a oh brewery my goodness. that makes one that's got red wood in it. <laughs> no, look, I really love, um, so I, we, passion fruit in Australia is everywhere. It's a part of our staple diet almost, that along with Vegemite. And so I was always excited to want to work with passion fruit. Hmm. Um, surprised it's not more popular here, to be honest. Um, but uh, yeah, my original R&D for this uh, particular variant was actually as a sour, and I did a passion fruit, mango and orange sour, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, I loved it, but a, a mate of mine actually gave me some a, a good bit of advice. He said, Donna, your brand is still very young. You know, your customer base may not be as excited about a sour as you are, and so that's when I flipped it to from being a sour to having the, to introducing the, the, the minerality and that, that salinity from the sea salt instead. Um, it's not by any stretch supposed to be a gose style, but it's that salt, the, the slight minerality of the sea salt actually helps to bring out the vibrancy of the tropical aspect of the passion fruit um, and the brightness of the orange. So it's, uh, and it is only subtle, as it, but I didn't want it to be overpowering. Well, you can't only do so much with ginger beer, I think. Once you try to start knocking it like a, a hammer over it, you lose a lot of the ginger flavor. And uh, I don't know. I, I think you can overdo flavors too much. So when I first started, people were like, all the beers taste the same. That kind of hurt me a little bit. Like, I ain't going to lie, you know. Yeah. Um, be, but they don't. The thing is, we're dealing with subtle flavors here. We're not knocking you over the head with an IPA, you know. Uh, or exactly. Or, or a, Sauvignon, a Sauvignon, you know, um, which is my favorite wine style, by the way, the Cab Sauvignon. Yeah, love can it. We, we can arrange to get you some of those. Oh, man. Yeah, my father-in-law <laughs> loves uh, wine, too. Alexander Valley, is that anywhere near you, or is that up north? For you? Yeah, I was actually driving through there the other day. Okay, yeah, that's his favorite valley, allegedly, so he loves anything that's that comes from there. Quality. There is some quality wines coming out of the Alexander Valley. And they've got, you know, they're known for cabs, especially. But there's some good old vines in up there as well. Good. Yes. That's so, only about a 25-minute drive for me. Not bad. Dallas. That's close. Yeah, yeah, it's just north of here. Yeah, I was driving around in uh, uh, southern Shelby County today. So I, I live in Shelby County, Alabama, um, right north of me is Jefferson County. That's where Birmingham is. So that we're like a suburb, basically, of uh, – a Birmingham, Alabama, you know, civil okay. rights movement, that kind of stuff. Very famous for that. Um, but anyway, I was driving around and just, it's just so pretty. It's a lot of rural ish areas, you know, and it's just so pretty. Yeah. And like, I just like, I want to live here, you know, like this is where I want to live. And I just imagine that's kind of like how you're feeling like out there. Like, it's just like, just gorgeous driving around and things. 
being around nature is what I've really enjoyed. I mean, I grew up in the city. Um, I've lived in big cities all my life until I moved out here. And um, it's been nice to have a, a little bit of a balance of having the city nearby, but, you know, enjoying the, the amount of mother nature around us. Are we talking about San Francisco? Is that the big city? That is the big city. That's okay, the big that's city. the big one. All right. That's the big, yeah, San Francisco is about an hour and a quarter from here. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, we got uh, we got some family up there. I'm not sure what exact part, but I've been telling them to get some G's ginger beer, so we'll see if they uh, if they come through and, and do this. I'm definitely going to send them this uh, episode, so maybe they'll get on that, you know? Well, there's uh, it'd be, it's a pleasure to share to to just you know share the love, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if we ever get up there, I'm definitely gonna look you up, and maybe we can oh, try some of that copious amounts of uh, bourbon that you have up there on that shelf. My goodness, it's so scary. Like an alcoholic walks in there into your room and just walks straight out. He's like, "Nope, can't handle this." The <laughs> <laughs> temptation is it's too great. Well, <laughs> yeah. He knows he's going to fall flat on his face. Oh, God. Um, so tell me about your first uh, fermentation experience. Like, what did you brew? How did it taste, et cetera? Uh, of ginger beer? Just anything. No, anything. Like, your first time, you're green behind the ears, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it pretty much was, other than just mucking around a little bit here in my kitchen, not really knowing what I was doing, um, you know, Processing my fruit that first year was really my first foray into fermentation. So um, taking the grapes to the, to the winery and um, living and breathing that through primary, especially through primary fermentation, and it's like, it's like a newborn working with grapes. You know, you go to the crush pad and, and then, you, you know, I'm there three times a day doing pump overs and cleaning equipment and um, punch downs and pump overs. I was like, it's, it's like having a baby. You, you know, got to baby that stuff, man. Wow. You do through 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 primary fermentation. You need to baby that. It's but it's awesome. Like it's just it's so visceral, right? It's mm-hmm. so different from fermenting with, with at a brewery in big stainless steel tanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I literally get my you know I stomp on my fruit and I get my get my hands deep into it and get my you know get my nose in there and it's like there's a lot around. There's a lot of sensory through primary fermentation of of wine grapes. And making wine, and and it's 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 intox it's it's intoxicating from a perspective of you just keep wanting to go back for more. And I was like, I don't mind going there at midnight. Sure, I want to ch- I want to see where it's at. You know, I want to know. And it's just this living, breathing thing that's it's just so awesome to be um, to be around. I, I guess it was it just so, it enlivened it enlivened me in so many ways. Um, being at the crush pad and in in the cellar for that first that first time I I processed my fruit. That that's really what kicked off the you know, that opened the Pandora's box, so to speak. And uh, this was all with grapes that you had on your own uh, winery. Yeah. 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 That I farm here on the property. So. That's really cool. I, I remember, like, I loved fermenting. Uh, background is in science and um, just seeing those little yeasts do their work, whether my microscopy or uh, with the airlock going, uh, it was just so interesting. And, uh, but I remember doing a batch of ginger beer one time and, um, it was like the yeast completely flocculated out. So it was clear, but it was still fermenting. So you could see, and it was in the glass carboy, right? So you could see all these bubbles coming up and it was super clear. I mean, 
like just as clear as day. Like I've never seen that before since. Was but, it cut? What temperature? Uh, it wasn't. It was just like I used this strain of yeast so many times. It was just like, hey, buddy, I'm done. You know, like it was just like I'm not floating for you no more. All right, this is it. So like I just kept on repitching, repitching, repitching on the same cake of yeast forever because I was like, you know, this is my this is my ginger beer plant. You know, this is. Do you still have? And I, I do. I, I did freeze some, so I might I might be able to coax some out of a vial. But um, other than that, I don't know. I don't use it because it's not a commercial strain. It's a wild yeast that just came from the oh, air. Yeah. It oh. That. Yeah, it, it looks like uh, Cervasia. Um, so that's what led me to try other strains of yeast. But yeah, I mean, just like seeing, like, and I would just get a flashlight, like, late at night. Maybe I had a little buzz on, and I would put the flashlight to the carboy, and I would just see these, like, star shooting stars almost, like, coming up. And it just, like, you know, just trippy, mind trippy, and just, like, fall in love with it, you know? So I kind of get. Like a symphony as well when yeah. you hear it, but went through the Pop, airlock. And yeah, the popping. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I could see like uh, how when you're in the winery and doing your pump overs, which I'm not exactly sure what that is because I'm not a winemaker, but you know, working in there and doing that and seeing the wine itself, because like I'm I'm sure a lot of times you can just have that open, right? You don't need to be so uh, concerned about oh, covered no. covering it, right? Yeah. yeah. No, the only reason I'd cover it just at night for you know from protect it from fruit flies, but yeah. Um, yeah, that CO2 environment's going to – the cap, what's called the cap and the CO2 that kind of mostly – I mean, it's throughout, but it's it lives on the sort of – there's a lot of it on the surface through, prim, through primary fermentation that, mm. you know, nothing's going to really – nothing's going to get in there that's going to survive anyways. Um, right. But, yeah, it's a, it's an open-top fermentation. I guess in beer land, people would do that with, with fooders, fooders. Big bats, aren't they? Some of those open sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know that word. I, I, I'm not, a, I'm not a brewer either. I guess I'm a ginger brewer. <laughs> but yeah, oh, mate, I, I've actually never ferment. I've never made a, a traditional beer. I've never. Oh right brewed, on. Okay. Yeah, I've never brewed a beer. I've never done an open top uh, brew. That's very rare for like a home brewer to try. You know, so I've definitely never done that. And uh, I've seen it done. We had a brewery. Uh, we still have a brewery here called Avondale, and they used to do uh, some open top uh, fermentation for their IPA. But I think it was like pretty inconsistent, you know. Uh, so they, I think they stopped doing that after a while. But when they got it right, it was a very, very delicious, That's rich IPA. Cool. Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah. I think the, the sour uh, brewers maybe are a little bit more open to the idea of the open top kind of concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, because like you can kill everything anytime with a little acid, you know? Right. Yeah. Hey, speaking of acid, do you find the pH of your ginger beers, you know, remains pretty low? Oh yeah, for sure. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I think like typically like on the high end of my ginger beer, it's like 3.2. Yeah. Um, but right out of the fermenter, it's 2.9. Like right out of the fermenter before I add wow. anything to it, two point nine. Yeah, it's super That's acidic. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it lends itself to the longevity of the uh, beverage as well. I think so. Yeah, for sure. In fact, I had uh, I had a problem with a wild yeast, and uh, I made this very expensive batch of beer, and uh, I actually reduced the pH of it to two point six because I knew at two point oh. six this wild yeast was not going to grow. 
you know? So I, I reduced it. It, was, it became a peach sour, and I, I have it on tap right now. It's it's going to be oh, stable brilliant. until the end end of end of days, you know. Your science background must do wonders for you know what you do now. I, I it's problem solving. I, you know what dream. I mean? <laughs> problem solving. So in the lab, like we would have problems all the time. Like, how do you figure out this? Like, what am I doing wrong? You know. So you fix it. You change it. You try something different. And so that's what that's kind of that really does help in in the field when i'm doing stuff because uh i constantly have to think about the problem that i'm that i have and then i have to attack it and figure it out you know yeah. i've got a yeah, problem right now with with watermelon beer i don't know how i'm gonna like sanit like make the watermelon you know and like not like get the juice out of the watermelons and then like sanitize it like am i gonna do a cold pasteurization on it Am I going to try just like some metabisulfate on it? Like, I don't know. You know, I need that stuff to be stable, but I really haven't thought through the problem completely yet. Why not it, uh, attenuate out? Well, it, won't, it won't dry out by itself? Uh, I don't. Okay, so here's how I make ginger beer. I brew the ginger, sugar, and water to dry, right? And then I mix that up with flavors after that. And like oh, a winery... Like a winery, I use winery chemicals to inhibit refermentation. Right, right? which is where, which is where the sulfites come in. Which is what? Sorry. Sulfites. Sulfites, yes, yes. That's where the sulfites and the and the sorbate comes in. Yeah. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just like curious, because like if it does start getting weird, that's going to cost me tons of cash, you know. But you know. Uh, We'll see. It's all experiment. Sometimes you really just got to jump in and just try it and see if it works. And if it does, then you're a genius. And if it doesn't, you're a dumbass, you know? If it doesn't, it's the learning that leads to the next learning, right? It's yeah. The experiences lead to another. I know that's a kind of a quote from a, a lyric of a Pearl Jam song, but well, it's <laughs> pretty- <laughs> I thought I thought you were really trying out for inspirational speaking here, Donna. Jam, of course <laughs> <laughs> but maybe maybe if you're concerned why don't you just throwing you know uh throw the watermelon in primary i can't i can't do that because uh no. i don't know how you're able to do that without being a winery but they tell me that i can't do that or else i'm a winery i can't ferment fruit isn't that crazy they tell us two no. different things hang on are you talking state or federal federal yeah, that's yeah. I'm gonna call a little like bullshit on that. I know, like you can't really get a straight. I would put all of my stuff in primary period because it's just easier to deal with it on the back end. You know, that's really when we first started, all my all my test batches were putting in primary. Uh, you know, if I made like a Moscow Mule version, I'd have the lime juice in there. My first contact, I'd ferment the lemon juice out. Um, but yeah, and then they were like, no, you can't do that in my formulas, you know? So it was like, okay. So then I had to develop this other strategy after that. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should chat about this offline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting a little too technical. Um, okay. So, uh, what is the future of G's gingerbread? What, what is the current, like, what is the current status? What's going on? And then what's the future? Yeah, so um, where where I'm at now, I've um, so California has a self distribution 
model, like you can self-distribute in the state of California. That's legal here. Um, so I've been doing uh, all of the distributing myself um, to its literal name, self-distribution. So uh, two years in commerce now and uh, across the Bay Area or the greater Bay Area, um, some slightly more destination locations as well. Like I've got a placement out in, in uh, Yosemite and um, a few other sort of further places. But um, I had about 150 placements that uh, I got myself and I was doing all of the deliveries and the logistics and this, everything associated with it. But I just signed up with a distributor a few weeks ago and they've got statewide distribution. So they're starting to get the ginger beer uh, into locations that I, you know, that are, that are part of their Rolodex kind of thing. Um, so that's been the next step of growth and looking at some of the other larger retailers to see what we can do with trying to get on board with some of those. Um, but the model, you know, I, I, my model is different from your model from a perspective of I don't have the, don't have my own facility, which would be absolutely awesome, but uh, not feasible in the very um, stunning but expensive state of California. Um, and so it's been around getting the beverage out there and, and into the hands of many. Um, and it's, you know, I'm very conscious of consumers want beverage options and that's that's what we're giving them as another beverage option. Um, the stats around beer drinkers are, are not shocking by any stretch. So 75% of men drink beer and 25% of women drink beer. Neither of those stats are shocking. Um, but what that really means is that 50% of the adult drinking population don't drink traditional beer. And that's a huge market to, you know, for people to want options and alternatives. Now out of COVID also people are being a bit more mindful again about, you know, health and, and well-being and um, what they're consuming, both food and, and beverage. And um, so, yeah, my mission is to get these, you know, quality, clean, moderate alcohol beverages out into the hands of many. Um, and so we're going through a little bit of growth now with the distributor that we've just got on board. Um, next phase of sort of growth is to get some fundraising, you know, get, get some money, get, I'm still a, I'm still a band of one. Um, I still do everything myself and, uh, and I love it. Um, uh, but I'm a bit limit up. We would say on the trading floor, I'm a bit running out of bandwidth of, of, of how I can be everywhere and, and do everything. And as much as I absolutely love it, I would love to have a, a team around it as well. So taking it to the next level would be, you know, getting the stepping change growth through the distributors looking to onboard with some major retailers, um, keeping hot, you know, staying true to the, the integrity and the quality of the, of the beverage. Um, we're in a, a really great sort of position in a few, on a few levels. One is hard seltzers, whether you like them or not, have brought awareness to the spe to the specialty category. And I'm thrilled for that. They're bringing more eyes to that section of the fridge. Um, that's you know the halo effect of that means that there's there's more eyes that are potentially looking for other things and like I say the consumers want beverage options so we just want to give them another option. Ours happen to be super versatile because they're tasty as is and they also mix well in in cocktails. Um, so there's there's that sort of exciting side of yeah the growth in the marketplace is looking to the specialty category but from a competitive advantage perspective um, we've unlocked. You know, I've, un I've unlocked this fermentation formula of sorts to say, hey, we've got a shelf-stable product. You know, we, we don't have, you know, the sugar that a lot of these, ha the, these hard ciders might have. We, we don't have the artificial ingredients that a lot of these hard seltzers have. 
and we're not cold storage dependent that you know hard kombuchas are and so it, it gives us a little bit of a of a competitive edge being shelf stable um and absolutely first and foremost being tasty you know you want a tasty beverage um so yeah i've got grand you know vision and, and ideas and thoughts about how and where and what and and who and all the rest of it but uh you know to get to the next level i i won't be able to do it by myself and i want to have a team around us you know it's uh we want to get this good ginger goodness out to out to to more and more people be it yours mine whoever else wants to foray into these you know it's just such an awesome um route to be working with and the flavors that that they can enhance along the way when you know they play well with others so um more and more of it very cool um yeah i noticed like uh my business partner he does help out uh, with sales a lot but there's so many decisions in the business other than like what gas station to go try to sell ginger beer to you know so yes. so like I holler at him all the time about just any big decision or normal, you know, even little decisions sometimes like, and it just helps so much to get a fresh perspective, especially from someone that's not in the shit all the time, you know, like, like I am, you know? Absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm starving for that, to be honest. I would love to have somebody on board. Um, I've got a couple of friends that have been, you know, wonderful sounding boards to be able to and great palettes as well and I've been able to lean on them for you know for that kind of help and I appreciate it immensely but getting some other people in you know in and on board and growing this thing to the stepping change that I you know foresee the, the vision of the brand it's it's exciting the landscape is you know the runway is long for our beverages you know it really is yeah, I agree. I, I think there's so much potential to grow with this. You know, um, heard of another ginger beer brewer that is going to open up all 50 states. They say so. In in yeah, we can talk about that later. I don't want to blow up anybody right now. Uh, if that's <laughs> not true, but it seems to be true, and uh, that's that's terribly exciting. You know, that's like the first the first step for man, giant leap for mankind. You know, the kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, giant leap for ginger beer. I like the interstellar little connection there. Right? Uh, yeah, I had to throw it in there. Yeah, I'm guilty. I'm a nerd. So, uh, yeah, so we got these companies that are just starting, and we got so much room to grow. And uh, and, our, and anything that, like, let's say, like, Budweiser wanted to try to do something like we're doing, it's not going to be anywhere similar because they're going to corporatize it, and they're going to screw it up. And it's not going to be good, and it's going to be off the shelf in no time. Also, like, I don't know exactly how you get your ginger, you know what I mean, or how you press it or anything, and you don't need, we don't need to go into that, but it's a pain in the ass, you know? So how are you going to get a producer, you know, to make enough? Are you going to do that all in-house? Like, it just adds, like, a whole other layer of uh, complications to trying to expand, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Supply in that way. Right, yeah. yeah. Those dynamics are definitely yes, odd. That, uh, I think we, you and I are benefiting right now from the fact that in the food space, the ginger has been trending for a little while in the food space. And so more and more plantings of ginger are, are, have, have happened around the world. Um, I get most of my ginger coming out of Peru. Some of it comes from Hawaii as well, but uh, most of it's coming out of Peru. And I prefer the organic Peruvian. Um, it, 
there are certain strains of ginger that you can work with, um, different varieties of ginger, but I, I like the Peruvian and I like the Hawaiian, but more and more ginger has been planted, more and more ginger is being made available and that's great for people like us because that sort of secures a supply, an aspect of our supply chain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I go to Restaurant Depot in Birmingham, Alabama. I think Restaurant yeah. Depot is like a, a chain, like they're yeah. all over the place, right? Yeah, so I'll go in there and they got like 30-pound cases of ginger, you know, and I'll pick up like six to eight of them or whatever, throw them in the truck and take them down here and we grind them, yeah. grind them up and press them. Oh, man, if you ever get a chance to come out of Birmingham, I'd love to show you how we make the beer. Oh, it's hilarious. It's so crazy how we make the beer right now. Like, it's stupid. Like, it takes forever. It's stupid. But we do it because, you know, we don't we don't know any better. I got plans to, like, you know. So, all right, I'll just describe it real quick. So, um, we got, and do you know what an insincorator is? You probably have one in your kitchen right there, right? Yeah, so we got a stainless steel insincorator that we grind the ginger with, right? It makes, like, this ginger pulp. I'm not messing around. So, it makes this ginger pulp. <laughs> She's laughing at me. <laughs> How many horsepower is it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, oh! It's got a lot of horsepower, girl. No, don't, don't you worry about that. It's got like lots of horses. Brilliant. So, yeah. So, uh, so we grind down the ginger into a pulp like that, and then uh, we put that into like a nylon painter strainer and press it in like this. Um, uh, basically, it's like a, a framed press, but um, it uses a bottle jack, like a five-ton bottle jack that you like crank down a two-by-six onto like a stainless steel plate that then pushes the ginger out of the bag, I'm the ginger juice out of the bag. Six, not a two-by-four. Yeah, it's two-by-six. Yeah, it's got to be strong. <laughs> you don't want to crack that in the middle. Of, that's dangerous, all right? Yeah. <laughs> That's dangerous work. Oh, mate, I need, to, I need to get over there. I want to be a part of this. Yeah, it's so silly. And, like, the whole way that we built the brewery, like, just everything is just so, like, just ridiculous. And, honestly, like, uh, we thought that no one would work with us for contract brewing. You know, we thought no one would work with us. No one's going to be able to keep the level of product quality that we want. So we're going to go ahead and do it ourselves and make this beer and it's been a reckless and crazy and time intensive uh, thing. Uh, but I gotta say, like, I love making beer. Like, I love it. It, it. You know what I don't love though? Hand labeling bottles of beer. Okay, I do not love hand labeling oh, bottles of beer. That that's that's like for the birds. All right, I'm tired of that. But the actual making of it, like, I can do that. You know, I can do that for probably ever. And if we ever needed like a CEO to actually properly run this company, then we would do that, and I would just go and you know make the beer. And I'd be happy with that. That's ice. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah, yeah. There are brewers in this world, and there are CEOs of this world, and I don't think I'm the CEO typeset. You know. Yeah, I throw my slaves up any day. I don't do enough cocaine. You know, that's the thing. <laughs> it's too expensive, mate. It's definitely too expensive. That's why I got into brewing. You know, it was the beer was too expensive, so I had to start brewing beer. You're a smart man. Yeah. Well, I've just been fortunate enough to be poor my whole life, so you know how that is. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought I'd get a job to make some real money, so I could, you know, not worry about cash. And then I started brewing beer, and I was like, I thought that was going to be the way out, and <laughs> it's totally not. But you love it, and that's. <laughs> but absolutely. I love it, yeah, and you love hey, it. What was the inspiration for your for the name? Uh, Interstellar came from our love of science fiction, and um, 
we uh Daniel and I, we both love science fiction novels. My favorite book is Dune. I don't know if you read it, but highly recommend it. It's by Frank Herbert. And uh, it is about a planet called Arrakis. Why am I getting into this? Anyway, uh, so we we were hunting for a science fiction name. A lot of them were already trademarked. So, but Interstellar was not. And um, so we were like, Interstellar, that's a cool name. Let's go ahead and trademark that SOB. So we did, and Interstellar was born. Right on. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, I wish there was more to it than that. But, uh, you know, we, we launched a rocket or something at that some point. So- <laughs> sure. But you, oh, I, I heard that story about the rocket. Yeah, the yeah. Rocket that was... didn't go off the first time, right? Oh, it didn't go off three times. And we counted down <laughs> 10, 9, 8, all the way to zero, whatever. And we had the mayor there pushing the button. Yeah. Yeah, and it failed three times in a row. It was like the worst foreshadowing for a business I could ever imagine. It was awful, but eventually. Oh, uh, you know what they say: all press is good press, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I wish we got roasted more for that. Like it didn't seem like anybody cared. They were just getting, they're just getting drunk, drinking beer, and <laughs> we're out there. I was sweating, like just sweating. Like, can this please go off this time? Oh, what time of year was it? I was. It was September. So, like, oh, in another month, it wasn't that hot. It's humid enough. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was humid enough. It was warm, but it, it wasn't, like, blazing like it is right now. Speaking right. of blazes, what can you – I know this is going on way too long, but can you just give us a little idea? Out here in Alabama, we don't know too much about these fires that are going on. So how's all that uh, settled up? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's become a bit of part of life here. Um and uh, you know when you when you have to invest in a generator and and um, all of the associated things that come with and starting to like needing to know about amps and vol you know like it's it's um, it's becoming a bit of the norm. Um, we also had a, another incredibly dry winter. We didn't have very much rainfall, and as the summer's gone on and everything dries out more and more and more, we don't get a lot of rain up here um, in the valley anyway. San Francisco's a whole other different climate. Um, but up here in the valley and the north coast areas um, throughout, I mean, in, in lots of parts of California, it's uh, the dryness that we have, and then, you know, it doesn't take much to spark something, and then as the wind picks up, the embers fly and, and ignite elsewhere. I mean, we've seen... We've seen the fires here jump the 101 or jump big highways, you know, eight, eight, ten-lane highways, um, and that's pretty scary stuff. So this round has come early in the season in the scheme of things. We've we had lightning, a very bizarre weather pattern where we had lightning strike um, the weekend before last, and that's what set off a couple of the big fires up here. Um, there are other fires throughout the state, but California's not unused to it, sadly. It's sort of like hurricane season on the Gulf Coast, and um, twister season um, through you know the interior and uh, we're getting more and more of these fires and they're impacting a lot of people's lives and livelihoods and evacuation alerts and you know people losing property losing livestock losing um, livelihoods and if it hasn't been a hard enough year for people anyways um, so right now the the couple that you know the ones that are closest to us are town next to us up in the in the hills here got evacuated um, the good news for us here on the valley floor is two things. One is uh, fire doesn't, generally speaking, prefer to go down. It prefers to, you know, heat rising. It prefers to go up. This is why we often see that the fire tracks along the ranges. 
Um, it doesn't, generally speaking, come down. And the other is, is that vineyards act as a natural fire break. Um, so that kind of does give us some form of protection. But never say never. We're seeing a lot of things that we've never seen before. I've never seen lightning in my time here, and it wow. happened. So um, I didn't realize yeah. that. You guys have been lightning-free for ages, and now you got lightning? I've never seen – I've maybe in the, in the almost seven years that I've lived in this part of the world, I've maybe heard thunder once until last weekend. No it's kidding. Just, yeah, no, we just don't get it. We don't get storms up here. We really don't. Um, you know, we get earthquakes, uh, but we don't get by way of – by way of storms, so you know we all have our, I guess, our share of, of, of uh, natural disasters. But yeah, so there's plenty of smoke that's still in the air, which in some ways has really been, like COVID's been one thing from an isolation perspective. But when you can't go outside because of the air quality, it just sort of makes it feel even more like Gotham City around you, even though like the sunshine is in theory abundant. Um, so it's it's uh, it's an it's just becoming another new norm kind of thing, which is scary on one hand. And, um, you know, that like, this is just a drop in the evolutionary side of things. It's like the planet apparently needs to do this. Uh, I'm sure humans aren't helping necessarily, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, we're only the start of the fire season. So we still got the danger another couple of months ahead, September and October are still fire deep, you know, alert season. It's when the winds pick up and, the dryness out here gets down to single digits. You know, it is bone, bone dry. So as soon as you have something that, you know, that sparks, it races quick and, 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 and large. It's good tender, right? Good like tender. It's good tender for a fire. Like oh, very that's... dry. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it, it happens really quickly. Um, and it's, it is literally devastating. And I mean, Plenty of lives have sadly been lost at how quickly it has happened. So, you know, I, I feel safer here on the valley floor. And like I say, never say never, you know, I've, right. I've had to kind of just be a little bit more prepared. And I got a, a little guy now to think of as well. It's not just the, my husky and I. And um, so, yeah, we it's, you know, it's this preparedness that you hope you never have to be prepared for. Right on. Well, thanks for sharing about that. Um, in Alabama, it rains like every day, nearly. It's oh, wow. <laughs> it's too much. We got too much rain, man. When it doesn't rain for a month, everybody's like, we got a drought. And I'm like, are you kidding? It rains more here than anywhere I've ever lived in my life. Uh, so yeah, it rain here. <laughs> Winter rain. We want, we want the rain. I want I want the vineyard to, to get a good soaking in the winter. We want the table water to rise. Um, we want those vines to, you know, find their water source below. And um, so, yeah, we, we want we want the rain. We just love it in the winter. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've heard good things about uh, that area of the world, how it's uh, very nice year-round, that kind of stuff. Uh, very pleasant year-round, which is great. Yes. Um, we're currently like just getting baked alive and I heard it's actually getting warm where you are too, right? Is that, is that right? Or? Fires, when, when we had the lightning strike and the fires kicked off last week, we had a week of over 105 degrees. So it's, mm. it's been, I mean, it was 111 out here. One wow. Day no way. It's, it's, it gets up there, um, here we, where we are up here in, in the Napa Valley. It's, mm. they're, they're super hot, dry days. Gotcha. I, I uh, a couple of years ago, it was 2017 vintage, and I was out in the vineyard farming, and um, the baby vines had only been. I planted the baby vines in 2015, 
So they were still super young and super vulnerable. And, and because they were younger, it was like a lot of the work that I had to do was closer to the, to the soil, to the, to the, to, to the, the deck of the, of the vineyard. And so I dropped a knee to do some work on the, on some of these, but, and I swear my knee was burning and I'm, and I was just like, that is seriously fucking hot. I came inside and I grabbed my meat thermometer, you know, <laughs> the thermometer you use is throw inside a piece of meat to see if it's ready or not. Yeah. 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 To the, to the vineyard, to the soil. And I popped it in the soil, 135 degrees. What? the soil temperature at the surface and and you know the ambient temperature on the day was only 110 so it gets bloody hot out that's there. really bizarre uh i can't even think physically how I, like physics wise how i describe that like uh explain that that's uh right, right. that's insane yeah it's Literally, very insane right. and that's not everywhere i mean i'm i'm on a part i'm in a part of the valley that is one of the hottest parts of the valley and it's not protected. It gets the sun. I mean, the, it's what the grapes love. They get the abundance of the sunshine. and But we get the cool nights. You know, I've got the whole house opened up now. It cools off um, considerably, and mm-hmm. which is great for the grapes because then the natural acids can come back in. And, yeah. You know, the, yeah. It's yeah. good for fruit. And then they, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm gonna, we're going to change the subject here. Um, Do it. So we're, we're getting to the end of the interview. Uh, Miss Donna. I'm going to give you the last word about ginger beer and just uh, just say whatever's on your mind about the ginger beer and stay on after I stop the recording so we can chat a little bit. Yeah, sure thing. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, just give it a go. It's uh, Often I hear people say, I don't like ginger, and then they try it and they're like, oh, I didn't know it could taste that awesome. <laughs> you know, it's like, just give it a go. Um, it's, it's not going to, it's certainly not going to hurt you. It is pretty darn good for you and we don't have to like try and prove that to people it is a pretty well proven um you know functional benefit that you get from ginger and but it's just super tasty and growing up i actually didn't even like ginger so um (laughs) funny how you can give something a go and then it turns into um something you love so much and that you want to get it out there but um bring on more hard ginger beer producers and and uh, you know let's 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 build this thing you know it's Absolutely. I agree 100%. Uh, Donna Katz, G's Ginger Beer, thank you so much for being on this episode. Thank you. Thanks for having us and thanks for doing this. This is really awesome. I do what I can. Good on you, mate. Rolling down the street, smoking endo, sipping on ginger juice. Biatch!